Welcome to Black Mountain College Radio, a podcast from Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center. I'm Jeff Arnell, Executive Director. Each program in our series focuses on various topics related to Black Mountain College and Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center. By presenting dynamic programming of this nature, we hope to deepen your relationship with both the college's vital legacy and the work of our Asheville-based museum. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Black Mountain College Radio. I'm Carmelo Pampolonio. Our fifth episode is an interview with interdisciplinary artist Martha McDonald, who's the curator of our current permanent collection exhibition titled Active Archive, Martha McDonald. Martha will also be creating an installation and performance in response to Bauhaus and Black Mountain College artist Zanti Shawinski's experimental theater piece titled Spectodrama. So we'll now go to Martha. Thank you, Martha, for joining us for this fifth episode of Black Mountain College Radio. Oh, my pleasure. So I'd like to start by talking about Zanti Shawinski, who was an inspiration for your upcoming work at the museum. Yes. So in 1936 and 1937, Shewinsky performed his theater piece titled Spectodrama, Play Life Illusion, at Black Mountain College. You said that for your installation titled Music for Modernist Shapes, Reimagining Spectodrama, you will activate stage elements from Shewinsky's piece through a series of performances. Can you elaborate on exactly what you'll activate and how you will do so? The way that I've developed this installation and the performance is through researching what I could find or, or what we know about Zanti Swinsky's piece, Spectre Drama. So I'm, I'm looking at photographs from the original 1936-37 performance, which ex- there are actually a lot of them that exist and are pretty amazing. That's really what got me so interested in the piece was looking at the photos. Then I later discovered that a, a script of the performance was published in the theater of the the drama review in I think 1971 so I was able to get a copy of that and read and kind of study that to try to understand what that whole thing was and then also I was able to get a copy of the score of music that BMC music teacher John Everts wrote for another collaboration he did with Shawinsky which was called Dance Macabre. There doesn't seem to be a score available or, or, or left from the original Spectre drama. But so I, I kind of was looking at, so I'm looking at pictures, I'm reading the script and trying to imagine it, I'm listening to music that might have been, but it's similar to what might have been performed. And then from that, you know, I'm making my own version, or I'm sort of, that's why I'm calling it reimagining spectrodrama. When I, you know, read the script, I discovered that it was, you know, just divided into four sections. And each of the sections explores the audience's perception of something. You know, one is sight, one is sound, one is time, and the other is architecture. So I'm drawing a lot from the sight section, which really explored color and how, like, for instance, hot and cold colors interact with each other. 
and also um, uh, Shulinski was really interested in exploring um, kind of forms of visual representation. So in the photographs from the original show, there was this group of, I think there might have been 10 or 11 shields, which are the, were these big, like five foot by maybe two and a half foot biomorphic shapes that you can see if you look really closely in the picture that you just see these legs sticking out from underneath them. So each person in the performance is holding a shield. And Shawinsky does refer to them as shields in his script. And so that's what I call them. Um, and, you know, so one of them has like a re- like a, um, an abst- a geometric abstraction image. One has like something that's, re- you know, rendered in a realistic style. One is like exploring perspective. One looks like it's some sort of symbiology or, or something. And so what I did is I made small reproductions of those props. They're like maybe three feet high and, you know, a foot and a half wide so that I can hold on to two of them at one time. So these there's five of them that I chose and they're on the wall in the installation and then during the performance um, one of the ways I activate the set is I take two of them off the wall and then I move around with them and I, I move the shields around to see how they interact with each other what happens when you put you know a geometric extraction shield next to a realistic shield that has clouds on it for instance and then another big way that I'm activating these set pieces is with these folded paper costumes that I'm making. So going back to the original Shawinsky Spectre Drama script, during the architecture or construction section, he describes this whole scene where actors are like throwing out rolls of paper and then they're crumpling them up and then from those crumpled piles of paper emerge these characters that are wearing these elaborate costumes that are made of either strips of paper that are cut. They almost look like Cousin It from um, <laughs> from the Adams Family or these really elaborate sort of spirally shapes or other ones that almost look like paper fans. And so I've made a series of these costumes, some of which will be on view in the gallery during the installation and some of which I will be putting on and taking off in the performance and moving around in them to explore kind of how the paper wants to move. Like one of the costumes is, it's really made out of a series of herringbone folds. And so it looks and moves very much like an accordion bellows. It has this incredible flexibility and it can be moved in and out like horizontally it can stretch down to being like a foot wide and then it can open up almost the full length of my arm, so three or four feet. And so that's another way that I guess I would say that I'm activating these objects, stage props, and costumes that during the run of the show, people can walk into the gallery and just see them, but during the performance, they're sort of come alive. Can you talk about your process of making the paper costumes for your piece and about their fragility? Yeah, yeah. This has been a really interesting process for me making these costumes because I never worked in paper before. As an artist, a lot of my work is site-specific and involves heavy research either into the history of a site or the stories, the kind of hidden stories in a site. And so what I did for this project is I sort of became like a Joseph Albers student. And so I taught myself a bunch of the Bauhaus paper folding techniques, which 
Albert taught at Black Mountain College and also taught at Yale. And so, you know, I researched that stuff. You know, I got some books and I watched some YouTube videos and, like, I taught myself a bunch of these techniques, like the reverse folding technique, the herringbone pleat, curved pleats, which are totally amazing, and, like, cat stairs, those funny little zigzaggy things that you always see in the pictures of the Bauhaus folding paper study things. So, so I did that for months. I spent months kind of learning, learning how to these techniques. Both Joseph and Annie Albers, when they, you know, and their teaching was all about, you know, the process of experimenting with materials in order to understand what the materials really wanted to do and what they could do to kind of explore and exploit the innate, you know, qualities of a certain material. One of the costumes that I made, like one of the pieces of one of the costumes, is this giant hat that basically looks like the Guggenheim Museum. It's these these layers of curved folds. You know, one of the, the paper folding things that Albers taught was, like he was really interested in curved folds because straight folds show you how stiff and um, rigid a piece of paper can become and how flexible it can become. But a curved fold, it shows you sort of in a way how quickly a paper can become three, how a piece of paper can go from flat to three-dimensional. Um, so like even a simple sort of C-fold, like a, like if you you know score a piece of paper with a, with a, a ballpoint pen that um, has no ink in it, in like the shape of a C, and then you bend the other two, the sides of the paper around that score in the paper, um, the paper almost immediately becomes like a little ramp. It's kind of amazing. And so um, I spent, you know, like I said, I spent a lot of time figuring that out and then also trying to understand the weight of paper and what, you know, what, what would be, what would work in 140 pound paper versus what would work in like thin, I guess it's really 20 pound paper that you use in, you know, like a, 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 um, a computer, a printer. You know, that's why I started out making everything just in printer paper, just cheap paper. And I was amazed by how incredible things looked. And But then as I started to explore heavier paper, it was interesting to see what, you know, it could hold. The, the things could get much bigger. So part of the real challenge for me in making these was the fragile nature of the of the paper. Like... In, in some ways, I'd be like, wow, I can't believe I could just keep folding and twisting and, and then all of a sudden it would rip or like the, the paper would get weak and it would tear. Like the best way to make these pieces that have a bunch of folds in them is to, like I said, score them first with a, a you know, either a, um, like a, a ballpoint, an empty ballpoint pen is the simplest way to do it or like the end of a, of a, a compass, the pointy part of a compass because that weakens the paper, and then that allows it to bend easier, but it also weakens the paper and lets it tear. So I made some, <laughs> some like things that I thought were incredible, and then I put them on and they ripped. I kind of was in a constant state of balancing the stiffness and the fragility of the paper. And so a lot of how I'm figuring out my movements for this piece, it's like kind of pushing up against the, the edge of what I can do in these folded constructions without tearing them.
you know, there's these amazing photographs of Shawinsky's wife, Irina, wearing this incredible spiraled, they're about six inch strips of white paper that are spiraled all around her in this like really kind of magical way. She's wearing black and she's against the black background. So they just kind of appear, this appears to be this spiraling floating paper. And it seemed so fragile to me. And, you know, of course, the whole time I was reading and, and researching Shawinsky's time at, at Black Mountain College and when the Alberses arrived at Black Mountain College, you know, I couldn't help but think about what brought them there. You know, they had escaped the Nazis in Berlin and in Germany. And, you know, Shawinsky had actually went from Germany to Italy thinking he would be safe there. And then the fascists came to power, and then he had to flee there, and that's when, when um, Albers brought him to Black Mountain College. So, you know, this is probably just totally my overlay on this, but I look at these costumes, these fragile paper costumes, and I think to myself, well, this is this really, this really expresses the impermanence of life and the fragile nature of our, of our existence, and I'm sure that Chewinski would have been very conscious of that. Or maybe he was still in survival mode, and it wasn't. And years later, he did make this whole group of work that were these, I think they're prints, that are these faces that are on tanks that are really, really intense. And I think that probably was the work he was doing that might have been directly related to his experience during the war. But I find these costumes very evocative because of their fragile nature. And so I have allowed, like when I'm making my costumes, I've allowed the fragile, I mean, I'm really actively keeping the fragile quality to them. And so some of them may rip in performance. I'm fully prepared that I may need to make multiple versions of these because they are so, so delicate. So in your performance, how will your movements try to emulate what Shawinsky's choreography might have been? The one thing I don't have is a film of spectrodrama. You know, I've got photos, I've got, you know, documentary photos, I've got the script, I've got this, a sense of maybe what the music sounded like based on the score that John Everts, you know, wrote down for Dance Macabre, which was the other project that Swinsky did at um, Black Mountain College. But I don't really know what they were doing. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, it sort of seems like they're dancing, but it sort of seems like they're just standing there. Like, I have no idea. So my movements are really being created based on how the costumes feel on me, what I think that the, how I, I feel like the costumes want to move, the most interesting sort of way to see the paper moving, and really based on this this musical score that Laura and I are, are making together. Part of the time I'll be singing Laura and I will do some singing together. I'll sing on my own. And there was singing in the, I mean, in the, the script for Spectre Drama says that there was singing. It was like, I think at one point it says something about a chorus of alto voices, vocalized musical themes corresponding to each cue. So what I found really interesting about reading the score was so much of it is about colors. Like there's these these um, flats, these stage flats, these big, you know, pieces of, I don't know, probably some kind of plywood or something that are painted different colors, like red and blue and yellow, and they move back and forth across the stage, and, you know, which was a real Bauhaus theater thing to do, was moving these primary colored flats around. But then Shawinsky adds a whole nother layer to it by having Everts compose music that really 
suggests these different colors. And, you know, we don't have access to the music. There doesn't seem to be a score anywhere for the for the music from Spectre Drama. So Laura and I are trying to bi- create our own score that suggests different colors, both vocally and in- in- instrumentally. I'm also, I'm probably doing going to do some things where I play with these boxes that I'm making they have the primary colors on all sides of the boxes, and they'll be, I'll be sort of piling them up and, make, and, and taking them apart and making different configurations of them, which is also kind of a, a play with color. That is not something that Schwinsky did in Spectre Drama. That's just, you know, something I'm... Like, some of this is just my response. Thank you for taking the time to join us, Martha. Oh, thank you. This has been really great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. The opening for our exhibition, Active Archive, Martha McDonald, will be on September 29th. And that evening at 5.30, Martha and composer Laura Baird will be performing in Music for Modernist Shapes, reimagining spectodrama. Tickets are free, and I hope to see you there. This is Black Mountain College Radio, and I'm Carmelo Pampolonio. For more information, go to blackmountaincollege.org.